you have the opportunity to speak to God. What are you going to say to him? I suggest that that will depend upon your view of God and how you see yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us this parable in Luke chapter 18 about two men who took that opportunity to speak with God. Notice the context the Lord Jesus gives. Verse 9, we are told that he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. This parable is a warning to us, a warning to us all, not to trust in ourselves and not to despise others. May we learn its lesson. The first of these men was very religious, No doubt, outwardly, he was most respectable. The second man was despised by the first. Both of them came to pray at the temple. This simple account divides up humanity and teaches us how we can be accepted in God's presence. Firstly, the lesson of the first man, don't trust in yourself. This man seems to be doing a very good thing. He has come to the temple to pray. But then he began to speak. Look at his prayer. What is it all about? Verse 11. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Although he starts off speaking to God, although he starts off by saying, I thank thee, actually, He is boasting to God about himself. To paraphrase him, he is saying, I've never done anything really bad, and I've done a lot of good. He thought he had a lot to be proud about, a lot to tell God about. Many of us, can say this about ourselves. It's very commendable of us not to have been bank robbers, not to have been extortioners, adulterers, etc. It makes life a lot easier for society when most people behave themselves at this level. So, what is the problem? This man was his own judge. 
he saw himself as good. But he was not looking at God's standard. He compared himself to this publican, this collector of taxes for the, the Romans, who he saw as a terrible sinner because he worked uh, for the enemy, as it were. But he forgot he was in the temple, the place marking the very presence of God, the place where the word of God was kept. He had no thought of God's holiness or what God was really like. I was reminded of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, where he saw that vision of the Lord sitting upon a throne, and he was overcome with the holiness of God. Verse 5, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. All mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There's not one of us who can claim to have been perfect in every word that we have ever said. Far from it. We are people of unclean lips. We have to be honest about that. We have to compare ourselves with God's standard. We have said things that were untrue. We have borne false witness. And that's without thinking about what we're like. In sight. Didn't Jesus make it very clear in his teaching when he warned of the guilt of adultery by looking and not just by doing? First Samuel 16 verse 7 tells us, Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. We need the light of God's word to shine in and show us what we are really like. This man began by saying, God, I thank thee. But his words are all of self-praise. He is talking to God as if God was his equal. But he has forgotten. He is a son of Adam. Remember, that Adam took the fruit and ate, because Adam saw himself as having the authority to do so, in spite of the fact that God had told him not to, and warned him of the consequences of disobedience. Adam did not trust the Lord. He thought he knew a better had something to gain. He was wrong. We are all guilty 
and Adam. We're also all guilty because we say and do things that are contrary to God's law. God's law is not harsh. To say that we should be honest and not bear false witness, to say that we shouldn't commit adultery, to say that we shouldn't steal, to say that we shouldn't covet, to say that we should keep one day in seven for worship, to say that we should love the Lord our God with our whole hearts and have no other God before him, to say that we should have no idols, to say that we should not take the name of the Lord in vain. These things are not onerous. They actually give us a prescription for a loving and caring society. Heaven upon earth, as it were. But they do highlight to us how far we fail. Our utter utter need before God. Our complete lack of holiness. Not only was this man pleased with the list of things he had not done. He went on because he was proud of his list of good works. Fasting and tithing seemed to suggest real devotion. But he was proud. He saw merit in what he did. He sees himself as earning acceptance with God. In the law given to Moses, an annual fast was laid down. Leviticus 16 verse 29 uh, tells that they were to afflict their souls. Read there, it says, ye shall afflict your souls. They were to humble themselves as the offering was made unto the Lord. Think about that. On that day, they were to especially focus on their need for propitiation, for God's righteous anger to be satisfied. But this man, he was proud of fasting twice a week. Yet he seems to have missed the point entirely of what fasting was about. There's no indication at all of sorrow for his sin, of afflicting himself. And then he adds, I give tithes of all that I possess. Of all that I possess. There's an emphasis here. He has been meticulous. He has been careful about his giving. Yes, it's good to give. But this man saw value in his gifts. They earned a merit, he thought, before God gave him something to be proud about.
This man spoke to himself. He praised himself. He approved of himself. It seems that he saw himself as the center of everything. There is not a hint that he might ever have done anything wrong, that indeed his heart was, as Jeremiah says in 17 verse 9, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He had no awareness that he was at the place of sacrifice, that he was a sinner who needed the benefit of that sacrifice for his mercy. We have to apply this to ourselves. I am sure that we are outwardly good people. We do many good things. Helpful. We give. We have been kept from many terrible sins. As we look at our church, we have been outwardly faithful to the gospel over many years. We've taken a stand on important issues, been involved in starting up an orphanage and so forth. Many, many things. But we have to be careful as a church and as individuals. Is there any hint of pride in ourselves for what we have done? Let us examine our hearts to see if there is any hint within us of boasting, of confidence in the flesh, of thinking we have some merit before God. May the Lord have mercy upon us. Secondly, the second man, this publican, this tax collector, teaches us to trust in God for mercy. This publican, this tax collector, is a complete contrast. He was despised by the Pharisee and probably by most other people too. Recall how the accusation had been made. We read it in Matthew chapter 9 verse 11. Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? They were lumped together in the popular mind. Totally despised. As the worst of sinners. Although Jesus never condemned the tax collectors for the principle of their work. Verse 13 we read, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He had come to the temple, but he couldn't lift up his eyes. He had come to the temple, but he couldn't draw up close. He took a lowly position at a distance. And then 
he began to beat upon his breast, which is symbolic of great sorrow. He talked to God in his prayer as a man who was desperate in need. He saw his own condition was in himself hopeless. This man's prayer was fervent as he poured his heart, his heart out. This man saw himself in the light of God's holiness. He knew that he was unworthy. His prayer is so simple, yet describes the character of God and his need for God's anger at his sin to be satisfied. There is nothing in the text to suggest that he was any worse than the average person, but as he stood in the presence of God, it was only his own sin that he saw. As Richard Lensky has said, true contrition finds no comfort at all in the fact that there are many other and greater sinners. It sees only itself before God as the sinner. Guilty is the verdict, and he knew it was deserved. But he had come to plead his case, not on his own merit. He had only confession to bring. But his sense of guilt did not lead to hopeless despair. Far from it. He had come to the house of prayer. He had come to the place of sacrifice. When we read the word mercy here, the Greek suggests that he was looking for God to be propitiated for God's anger to be satisfied. That was what the sacrifices at the temple had been given for. They were types of the Lamb of God which would come to die to save his people from their sins. No one in the Old Testament was counted righteous before God because they had managed to keep any part of the law. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham looked forward as we look back to Christ's death on the cross as the Lamb of God. Our being counted righteous happens the same way as it did for this man. He came to faith He came in faith to the temple, the place of sacrifice, and pleaded that he was a sinner and begged God to have mercy. We hear the law condemn us as sinners facing God's wrath, but then we hear the good news that Christ died to save sinners, was buried, then rose again the third day. You have to deny yourself, to humble yourself, to give up your good opinion of yourself, and confess your sin, and look to Christ alone, if you are to be saved. There is no place for arrogant 
self-confidence. This reminded me of the two thieves who were crucified along with the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 23, the 39th verse tells us, And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. You see, that man had arrogant pride, even in the face of death. But then we notice the contrast with the other man, verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That second thief feared God, confessed his sin, and bowed before King Jesus. No works, no pride, nothing, just repentance and faith. Jesus was so clear. Luke 18, verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This man was counted righteous in the sight of God. His sin was gone. He knew the truth of Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. What about you? Do you look at your life by your own standard, by the standard of those who you live with, or work amongst, or go to school with? Or do you see yourself in the light of God's word? It is only when you realize what true holiness is, that you will begin to comprehend the depth of your own sin, your need uh, for salvation. My friend, my friend, I trust that you will heed the call to repent, to turn from sin to Christ, to believe the good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Humble yourself. See yourself as the chief of sinners. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Savior. Then the words of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 will be very personal. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we. Like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The church. The gathering of God's people. The, the church. The gathering of God's people. Is a gathering of sinners. People who have nothing good to offer God but a gathering 
of people who have confessed their sin and who have called upon the name of the Lord for mercy. This is true faith. This is saving faith. I trust that you will look to Christ and Him alone today. Amen.